Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the birth of a baby is an incredible miracle. Everything about an infant has been so wonderfully made and crafted by God, the Father himself. And what is also even more amazing is that the children born of believers may receive covenant promises from the Lord. And this wonder increases when we realize that this infant is conceived and born in sin and completely unable to do any good, but is only inclined to do evil. This can be hard for us to believe when we just see such cute babies lying peacefully in their mother's arms. There have been many who have denied this ugly truth about ourselves throughout the ages. One of the most famous of these theologians who have denied this truth is Pelagius. He was a monk from Britain who lived early in the 400s. When he came to Rome on his travels to see the city, which was becoming more and more the center of Christianity, he was shocked at the moral laxity and the worldliness of the church that he saw there. For Pelagius, the result of seeing this wickedness grew into a moralistic teaching, which taught that man had to be responsible for their actions and that it was possible on their own to improve their obedience before God. The people had to do penance. They had to follow Christ's example. And if they exerted themselves to the utmost, it would be possible for them to overcome their wickedness and sin and live righteous lives. The intentions of Pelagius were noble and upright enough, but they were based on a grave error, which is not in agreement with God's word. For the reason why he was fundamentally optimistic about man's chances of living a holy life was that he did not believe that man was conceived and born in sin. He did not believe that man was completely corrupt and inclined by nature to hate God and his neighbor. He did not believe that there is any connection between Adam's sin and our sins. He thought that each man's sins are only isolated instances of him falling. He denied that there was a deeper and more fundamental problem, that man is sinful by nature. He believed that man was sinful only because he followed the bad example of the people around him. According to him, there was no basic problem with man as he was by nature. This view of Pelagius is not something that was limited to him in the distant past, but it is something which has endured throughout church history and brought about much confusion for God's people in various periods and places. Also now in our own time, there are many who teach that man is not fundamentally corrupt and that we have no connection with Adam's sin. Instead, we only commit isolated acts of disobedience which can be prevented if only we try hard enough on our own to prevent them. Man is not seen to be responsible with Adam for the fall into sin. 
According to these teachers, man is not guilty by nature, but only if he commits particular sins. And often it is said by these people that man only commits sins because of the bad influences of those around him. He is not really at fault, but it's the fault of those other people who caused him to sin. And so many make excuses for our present condition. And the real responsibility which we bear is minimized and denied. Let us this afternoon consider the true nature of our sin and its origins as God reveals this to us in his word. And so gain a better understanding of ourselves before God. I proclaim to you God's word under the following theme. We are guilty of our sinful nature and our sins. We have committed first original sin and second actual sins. One of the most difficult things is to acknowledge one's guilt. To admit that we are wrong takes a lot of courage. This is also the case when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. We do not like to admit that things went wrong because of our fault. But that is the truth of the reason for our sinful nature. We rebelled against God in our forefather Adam. As man, he decided to go against God's clear command and suffered spiritual death as a result, just like God said he would. The Catechism reflects our desire to try and avoid responsibility for our sinful condition by trying to imply that perhaps it was God's fault. Perhaps he did not create us good enough and therefore, we fell into sin. The Catechism asked, did God then create man so wicked and perverse? The Catechism gives this strong and compelling answer. No, on the contrary, God created man good and in his image, that is, in true righteousness and holiness, so that he might rightly know God, his creator, heartily love him and live with him, in eternal blessedness to praise and glorify him. What a wonderful description of the perfect way in which God had created man. The workmanship of the Lord is never suspect and can never be blamed for the troubles which we now have. What the Lord has done is completely perfect and it could never be improved upon. We have been made by the Almighty One who is completely holy and righteous. It would never enter his mind to make a being that was hostile to his will and which would hate him and his neighbor. Not at all. For the Holy One abhors sin and therefore can have nothing to do with it in any way. The fact that we could have thought of blaming God shows the depth of our sinful nature. And there are many also today who do accuse God as the reason why everything is going wrong in their life. They blame him for not preventing all the problems in this world. But the responsibility lies with us entirely. For the Lord made us so that we would be responsible beings. 
He made us with a mind and a will by which we could determine our own actions. He made us so that we would have the choice to love him or not. For of what value is love that is unavoidable, love that is pre-programmed like a computer? God did not make us as robots, but as human beings who were to show to him that we loved him above all else and desired to live our life with the purpose of praising and glorifying him. No, our wickedness certainly did not come from the Lord. The very thought is abhorrent. Rather, our wickedness and corruption came, as answer 7 says, from the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. For it was there that our nature became so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. It is in Adam that we all became corrupt before God. This is the original sin which Adam committed and which we committed as well because we share in Adam's humanity and are responsible for this original sin together with Adam. Adam and Eve were living in paradise and they had all that they could want. They were able to eat from every tree in the garden except for just one tree in the middle of the garden. Then the evil one came along and tempted Eve to eat of the forbidden fruit and gave the false promise that when they would eat of the fruit, their eyes would be opened and they would become like God himself. The serpent appealed to their pride and sowed in them the seed of discontent with what they had already received from the Lord. The evil one tried to convince them that there was another way. He tried to tell them that God was actually hiding something from them, which they should be entitled to have. The evil one twisted the words of the Lord to make his commandments seem to be more severe and unreasonable than they actually were. He used every means at his disposal to get them to fall into sin and away from the living God who had created them and nurtured them and cared for them in every way already. And we all know what the outcome was. We all feel the effects of that outcome with us each day. Eve took up the fruit and she ate. And she gave it to Adam and he took up the fruit as well and also ate of it. And at that moment... It was all over with their and our true righteousness and holiness. They were such no longer, but instead spiritual death spread to them and to all their descendants. The moment they had sinned in this way, they knew immediately that they were no longer right with God and they fled from him. Just a day before, they had looked forward to the arrival of the Lord in the cool of the evening, and they walked with God and had communion. But now they wanted to avoid Him, and they tried to hide from Him. Such is the effect of our downfall and the sin which now determines the character of our life. 
In one act, our forefather Adam threw aside all that God had created in him. By the one act of the one man, we all became corrupt before God. Does this mean that we can blame our corruption on Adam? Can we think that if we had been there, we would have done a better job of resisting the temptations of the evil one? No, not at all. For we were in Adam. We have complete solidarity with Adam. The matters of original sin and condemnation can never be viewed in a strictly individualistic manner. The Lord deals with mankind as a whole, and the sin which was committed by Adam is viewed by the Lord as having been committed by all of us. Therefore, the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death came to all men because all sinned. Just as we share in Christ's benefits, so we also share in Adam's responsibility. Sin entered the world through the one man, Adam. And so death came to everyone because we all sinned. As a result of this original sin in the Garden of Eden, we have all been born in sin. We no longer share in the righteousness and holiness with which the Lord created man in the beginning. He created us perfectly, but we ruined it completely. And so we now pass on the sin which we committed in Adam to our children. And they pass it on to their children in a never-ending chain of sin and iniquity. David also realized this when he wrote in Psalm 51, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Already as newborns, our children, as innocent and as cute as they may look, are sinful and children of wrath. This is a harsh reality, which is unpleasant to hear and acknowledge. But it is a necessary truth to hold on to and to confess, for that is the nature of our condition before God. Our sin is deeply rooted in us as human beings. We do not sin because we have seen others sin, but we sin because that is our fundamental nature. We are completely corrupt and dead in our sins. Our nature is so wicked that we are unable to do good of ourselves. This is the effect of original sin in our lives. We are guilty before God for original sin and remain guilty because original sin produces in us every manner of sin continually. We do not sin because of imitation, but because of the basic corruption of our human nature. And we are responsible for this basic corruption. There is no way around it. 
No way to avoid it. No way to shrug off our responsibility for it. We share in Adam's sin and are guilty and inclined to sin. We confess this also in all of our Reformed confessions. Let's turn to Article 15 of the Belgic Confession. Article 15 is entitled, Original Sin. And we'll read the first part of that article. Find it in the Book of Praise on page 505. We believe that by the disobedience of Adam, original sin has spread throughout the whole human race. It is a corruption of the entire nature of man and a hereditary evil which infects even infants in their mother's womb. As a root, it produces in man all sorts of sin. It is therefore so vile and abominable in the sight of God that it is sufficient to condemn the human race. It is not abolished nor eradicated even by baptism, for sin continually streams forth like water welling up from this woeful source. Sin is now part of our very nature. This is a hard teaching, and many cannot accept it and seek after all kinds of excuses or other possibilities. They may, for example, insist that children are innocent until they are corrupted by others. But this is not what the Lord teaches us in His Word. We are sinful to the core. Nothing pure can be gleaned from our impure souls. Right from birth, we are corrupt in God's sight and unable to do any good which would be pleasing to Him. In the time of the Canons of Dort, the Arminians continued on the tradition of minimizing the extent of the corruption of man. And therefore, in the Canons of Dort, each chapter begins with re-emphasizing from different angles the reality of original sin and the effect which it has had on our nature. The Canons of Dort begins with stating the fact that all men have sinned in Adam. And therefore all lie under the curse of God and deserve eternal death. It states squarely the fault that we have in this. We cannot blame Adam but must take responsibility ourselves. God would have been entirely just to condemn the entire human race because of original sin. God would not condemn everyone if we were not all guilty. God is always just in all of his actions, and by his judgment, we are worthy of death. As Paul writes in Romans 5, verse 18, the one trespass of Adam led to condemnation for all men. In the first article of the second chapter of the canons, we are reminded that our sins need to be punished eternally 
in body and soul. We would not be able to escape those punishments that we deserve on our own or in our own strength. For there is nothing in ourselves which would enable us to be able to satisfy God's perfect justice. For we cannot successfully fight against our sinful nature, for it is too deep-rooted, and we are not capable of overcoming it. It is especially in chapter 3, 4 of the canons that the seriousness of original sin is worked out and illustrated. In Article 1, we confess that Man rebelled against God through the instigation of the devil and deprived himself of all the excellent gifts God had given him. And then we confess that he he brought upon himself blindness, horrible darkness, futility, and perverseness of judgment in his mind, wickedness, rebelliousness, and stubbornness in his will and heart, and impurity in all his affections. Man became so corrupt that he could only beget corrupt children. In Article 2 of Chapter 3, 4, we confess, Thus the corruption has spread from Adam to all his descendants, with the exception of Christ alone, not by imitation, as the plagueans of old maintained, but by the propagation of a perverted nature according to the righteous judgment of God. A man is completely incapable of serving God on his own, but can only produce works which displease the Lord. We see this terrible result of original sin in our actual sins. And so we come to the second point. Our actual sins are the sins which we commit each and every day in our lives now. While we participate in the sin of Adam by virtue of our humanity, we participate in our actual sins through our own direct actions. In chapter 5 of the Canons of Dort, we confess that also those who believe in Jesus Christ and are regenerated by the Spirit are nevertheless not free from indwelling sin. No one is free from sin, but we need to struggle against it the rest of our lives until we attain to perfection in the new world. Those who say that it is possible for believers now already to be completely free from sin deceive themselves and do not understand the depth of our sin before God. The Apostle Paul understood what it meant to struggle against sin for the rest of his life. This is vividly portrayed before us in Romans 7. Paul knows by nature that he is unspiritual and a slave to sin. He struggles against sin every day, and it is such a hopeless struggle. Through the work of the Spirit of Christ in his heart, he knows that he wants to do God's will. But his sinful nature wages war against that desire and so often overcomes it that he falls yet again. There is a part of himself that just does not want to do God's commandments. 
Paul sees clearly his wretchedness, and therefore he cries out to God for deliverance to Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, do we also see the evidence of this sinful nature in our own hearts and lives? Are we keenly aware of the struggle against our corrupt hearts from which come forth every evil desire? Do we share in the great frustration and unbearable tension that our sinful hearts produce, produce within us? Do we long for the redemption and complete deliverance which the Lord Jesus alone can provide? Do we confess our guilt and acknowledge our complete dependence upon our merciful God for salvation and restoration? Thanks be to God, there is hope and good news for terrible and corrupt sinners like you and me. God does not leave us in our misery, but he has offered to us the redemption which the second Adam has brought about. We are corrupt and unable to do any good according to our sinful nature, but through the Spirit of Christ, it is possible that even people like us can be regenerated so that we will serve and obey our God and Creator willingly and cheerfully. Although our sin caused condemnation for all men, the one act of righteousness which Christ has achieved brings about justification resulting in life. The righteousness is the righteousness which comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. This is the gift from God. It is freely given to all those who believe. Throughout the second half of chapter 5, the Apostle Paul displays the power of God's grace at work. The gift of God in Christ is so utterly different from the reality of our sin in Adam. It is so much more powerful than the sinful consequences of our sin in Adam. For God's grace came to the many, and it will overflow to them because of the work of Jesus Christ. As we read in verse 16, this gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. The gift of God's grace did not merely counter the effect of sin and stem it, but rather it triumphed over sin completely and is bestowed so generously that it produces life in those who believe and entrust themselves to God's grace alone. We read in verse 17, If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. The one act of righteousness of Christ counters the one act of disobedience by Adam. Through the obedience of Jesus Christ, the second Adam, we who are incorporated into him by a true faith may share 
and the wonderful blessings which He provides, and we may be made righteous before God. What a miracle and a triumph of God's grace. How fully His gift overcomes our sin and complete corruption. His gift means life for us. We have been raised up by the Lord to a newness of life. This new life is being worked in us who believe by the Holy Spirit. We are indeed of ourselves completely corrupt unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. That Spirit has now come and dwells among us, His people. He works powerfully among us. And we may begin now already to see the fruits of His work. By God's grace, we begin to love God and seek Him and His kingdom first in our life. Through His power, we desire to confess our sins and admit our guilt. Because of His work, we learn to see the depth of our depravity and strive against the law of sin in our hearts. By His grace, we want to dedicate our lives to Him and seek the well-being of our neighbor in both word and deed. We no longer put ourselves in the center, but instead consider others better than ourselves, are willing to forgive and not hold grudges, are willing to be patient and loving, kind and forbearing with one another. Through the power of the Spirit of Christ, we are more and more renewed after his image in righteousness and holiness. All this is evidence, not of the innate goodness of man, but rather of the triumph of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Without his work, this renewal would not be possible. He is all-powerful, and his grace conquers the resistance of man and makes him into a new being who will gladly serve his God with all of his heart, soul, and mind. Do you also see this new life in yourself? Do you notice that the Spirit of God is changing you to be formed more and more after his image in true righteousness and holiness? Is that also your desire to be freed from the body of death and sin, liberated in order to worship the Lord with everything that you have. May the Lord graciously give to each one of us the wonderful gift of his triumphant grace in Christ Jesus and renew us completely through his Holy Spirit. Amen.